time was four years ago, the first week of June, the year 2000, and the place was Athens, Tennessee. Our first stateside mission campaign was conducted in Covington, Kentucky, just across the river from the great city of Cincinnati. It was our first stateside trip, and it was very different than any work that I'd ever undertaken before. It was my first encounter with inner-city mission work, inner-city work of any sort. I remember Covington as a place that was filled with sin and addictions of all sorts, a place where alcohol was abused, it was a place that was violent and, I'm sure, dangerous, at least in the inner city portions. And I remember feeling touched by how those Christians that met in such a place could be faithful and true to their Lord and evangelistic in spirit to invite us to come to their place. And the church was there. It was small, but there were healthy members. And I remember meeting Gaston Cogdell, a preacher that uh, was late in years. Still, I suppose, one of the men that I'd place among the top two or three gospel preachers that I've ever encountered. A man of great energy and dedication. A country preacher in a city setting. And then we went to Athens. And Athens was very different. Athens was much like Mount Juliet. Uh, it was quiet. It was peaceful. It was middle-class America in a place of modest prosperity. It was a friendly place. I remember the trips to Mayfield's Dairy with our bus drivers for those afternoon refreshments and the church was at Athens a smaller congregation than this but filled with good people it was a pleasant and a healthy congregation I remember James Summers and his good wife and there are those here in this assembly that came from Athens we have Athens ties that have lasted through the years uh, Ben and Anna are here and occasionally we see Allison come in But my most vivid memory of the Athens trip occurred on a bright, and started anyway, on a bright and a warm and beautiful Wednesday morning. It was a morning that we were door knocking. And I was, I had the good fortune to be with a bright, young, wholesome, eighth grade little girl by the name of Ellen Bradshaw. And I remember that morning as if it happened just yesterday. I remember the doors that we knocked. Not that there were eventful door knocks, but just a, a quiet and pleasant time that we got to spend together. I had met Ellen's family early in the week. Her father was an active deacon there. Uh, Herb is a professional man and uh, dedicated to his church and was there to help us through the week. His good wife, Peggy, was one of our hosts through the week and worked very hard to, 
to take good care of us. I remember that morning passing quickly and pleasantly in Ellen's company. And I remember that evening when David preached the sermon in the portion of the lesson series that dealt with baptism. And Ellen Bradshaw responded that evening saying simply that there was no better time or place for her to do that. She'd never, she'd never actually come to that conclusion in her young life, but she felt like that night, that occasion, that particular moment was the right time. And on that occasion, there was a song that was sung that has stayed with me ever since. You see, that week in Athens had been a difficult one for me. Uh, the Covington work was so exhausting, and, and there was so much to do, and you were surrounded by so many things, and it was a struggle to find out and to choose which thing you would do. But Athens was very different for me, and, and for several of us there, I think. Uh, and I had, I'd had a, a hard time finding my place in that Athens work, and I somehow felt that I wasn't as useful as I ought to be. And uh, those thoughts were selfish looking back on them. Because when Ellen responded to the gospel, I remember how good I felt. And Ellen's response had nothing whatsoever to do with me. It was the right place and the right time. And ever since, this song has been a spiritual anthem for me. It never fails to stir me. And I used the idea of this song as our devotional theme for the week. I'm going to ask Phil to come and lead this song. We'll join together and sing it together. And uh, following that, I'll make some comments about the devotional content of the week that we spent in Fayetteville. I stand to praise you, but I fall to my knees. My spirit is willing, but my flesh is so weak. Like the fire in my soul, and the flame make me Lord, you know where I've been, so light the fire in my heart again. I feel your arms around me as the power of your healing begins. You breathe new life right through me like a mighty rushing wind. So light the fire in my soul, and the flame make me old. Lord, you know where I'm been. So light the fire in my heart again. Light the fire in my soul, and the flame. Make me 
many different angles, and sometimes you don't see them coming. That song was one of the rewards for me in the Athens trip, and we sang it a, a number of times through the week. This evening, we're going to depart from the usual routine of our Sunday evening service. We're going to give our fine minister a break. Uh, David worked his heart out this past week. And for those of us that have been on these mission campaigns, we know that that lesson series is very compelling, and very sincere, and delivered very energetically. And I'm thankful that I've heard that series now several times, and I hope to one day hear that series here in this fine auditorium among this audience and as many as we can round up from this community. When David asked me to uh, speak this evening concerning the devotional aspect of our Fayetteville trip, I must admit that my first thought was, uh-oh. You see, this is not something I do very much, and, and uh, all of us that aren't natural, if there is such a thing as a natural public speaker, all of us have a certain fear of doing that. But my next thought had to do with how would our young and best and brightest young men respond to such an invitation? And how would I hope that they would respond? And I believe in challenging ourselves, and I believe in taking advantage of opportunities when they're given to you. So I accept it. And my purpose this evening is not to give you a review of this mission trip. That will come later. It's not my place to do that. I'm sure Mitch will do that in a fine way. But rather, the thing that I want to do this evening is give you a, a taste, at least, of the devotional aspect of the Fayetteville campaign and what we uh, spoke about during those sessions. For each of our devotional, for each of our, our, our stateside mission campaigns, we choose a devotional theme that emerges through the week. Early on, it was somewhat accidental. Later, it started to take on a, a structure. And we use these devotionals to start or end our day. They're brief, 15 or perhaps 20 minutes long, accompanied by a few songs. Sometimes the speaker is professional and polished and very capable and able. Sometimes they're not. Sometimes the speakers come from the back row and, and from places that you wouldn't necessarily expect. But one thing in common that each of these devotionals has had, at least from my perspective, is that they're always sincere and very heartfelt and well-received and powerful. They're powerful because of the spirit of teamwork that exists on a mission team such as stateside crew. And I'm sure it exists on other mission efforts that go on. I remember in particular a a devotional that was offered by Michael Mount when he was just 15 or 16 years old. Michael was perceived by the congregation to be very mild, very gentle. And indeed, he is a very mild and gentle person. But on that morning, he was strong and courageous. And it's still one of the best, most moving devotionals that I can recall. The stateside mission campaigns are not just about the communities that we go to. Each of us grows up a little during those weeks. We have the benefit of surrounding ourselves with very able and mature and dedicated Christian folks. 
And we have also the privilege of surrounding ourselves with bright and beautiful young people. And we all want the same thing. And we all put ourselves outside of our normal box and talk to strangers and invite them to church. Very simple sounding thing, but something that's very foreign to many of us. You're about to hear one such devotional. I asked uh, my friend and young brother in Christ, Kevin Turbable, to accompany me this evening, and, and he will offer an example of what we would do at a stateside devotional session. But before Kevin comes to the podium, I do want to take a moment and just introduce you to what we talked about this past week. It was about our spiritual fire. We talked throughout the week about different aspects of the spiritual fire that we each ought to have, that we, that we each must have, if we're to be successful and, and energetic and pleasing to our Lord. We talked about how fire is powerful. We talked about the nature of fire being refining and cleansing. We talked about it as a symbol of emotional energy and fervor and excitement. We talked about how fire is consuming, perhaps even destructive, if mishandled. We talked about how a fire starts small but gets big. We talked about how our spiritual fire can be lit and also how it can be extinguished. We looked at the example of fire in the scripture and there are several. I'll share a couple with you. One is found in the book of Daniel, chapter 7 and verse 9. This is an image of our Heavenly Father. I beheld the Ancient of Days, whose garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. And his throne was like the fiery flame, and his wheels as burning fire, and a fiery stream issued forth and came from before him. And again, in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 23 and verse 29, Is not my word like as a fire, saith the Lord. Isaiah chapter 66 and verse 15, For behold, the Lord will come with fire, and with his chariots like a whirlwind, to render his anger with fury, and his rebuke with flames. And finally, this verse that we chose for the week, our theme verse, if you will, for the week, it's found in Jeremiah chapter 20 and verse 9. But his word is in my heart as a burning fire shut up in my bones. And through this simple verse, I hoped to spur a, a particular interest and a special interest and a special desire in each of the participants on that campaign to kindle that spiritual fire for the week and then to keep it burning. We talked about sparking our spiritual fire, to have that desire that we each need to move us into action. We talked about feeding that fire through preparation, how we ought to invest our time and energy getting ready to do such a challenging and exciting thing as sharing the gospel. We talked about sharing our spiritual fire with others, and that certainly was the main component of the campaign, and there's no shortage of that through the week. We talked about placing our fire into action through that sharing. 
We had a devotional concerning controlling our spiritual fire and using restraint and speaking the truth, but speaking it in love and not getting carried away with ourselves when we encountered individuals that had a mild interest because they are rare and they're exciting to us and we tend to perhaps maybe bowl them over too energetically when we need to coax and be gentle. And we close the week with a devotional concerning keeping our spiritual fire lit. And I pray that it remains in the hearts of those 50-some-odd that went. We each need a refresher now and then, but we ought never let that fire go out. We ought never let our spiritual zeal be limited to a day or a week or a single occasion. We need that to be ongoing. We need our commitment to be fresh and renewed every day. And we talked about that in, a, in one of our devotionals. I want to turn the uh, podium over to Kevin now, and he's going to speak to you about a devotional thought that he selected concerning our spiritual fire. If you will, turn in, uh, turn in your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 20. Jeremiah is often spoken of as, as the weeping prophet. And in chapter 20, we get a little taste of why. We're introduced to some of the sufferings that Jeremiah went through as a prophet for the Lord. In verse 2, we see where Jeremiah received a beating at the hand of Pasher. Now, this beating may have been as severe as 40 licks if we can assume that those that had already rejected the Lord and his law still abided by such limitations set by the law. Opposition to his ministry had now escalated to the point of violence. Jeremiah poured out his heart to God in shockingly honest terms. He felt he had been deceived about the consequences concerning being a prophet for the Lord. We see this in verse 7. He claimed that God had, against his objections, forced him to accept the task of being his spokesman. When actually, in chapter 1 and verse 17 and 19, God was straightforward about the opposition of being a prophet. But with the pain of the beating and the humiliation of being in the stocks, the prophet realized that things were a lot worse than he ever imagined. In addition, to, in addition to the physical pain he endured, Jeremiah also endured shame and ridicule. He was a member of a priestly family. He had undoubtedly enjoyed the support of King Josiah during the first 15 years of his, pro, of, of his ministry. But in, after encountering opposition under King Jehoahaz and Jehoiakim, Jeremiah evidently tried to avoid performing his prophetic duties. But he found that he couldn't help himself. He couldn't help but proclaim God's word as we see in verse 9, where it tells us that the word of God was a burning fire in his bones. Much like a potter shapes clay, the Lord shapes our lives. Much like a potter destroys 
a piece that has become faulty in some way, the Lord destroys those that are rebellious towards Him. The Lord also puts His servants through the fire of trial while in His service. He does this because the heat of the trial we go through strengthens us or causes us to realize that we want the things of this world more than we want to serve the Lord. The spiritual fire inside you, or the lack thereof, is molding your life. In a process called annealing, a kiln is stoked to 983 degrees Fahrenheit when molding and forming glass. Now, what's the sense in this? Why must it be so hot? Whenever, whenever a craftsman is molding clay, glass, whatever it may be, there are impurities that get into the piece somehow. Whether it be water still inside or, or maybe a piece of dust that has gotten in there. But either way, in order for the piece to completely mesh together, for that piece of clay to become one solid piece, for that piece of glass to burn away all its impurities, the fire must be stoked to such a temperature. Now one of two things happens. The impurity is either burned away, making the piece strong and durable, or the amount of impurity within the piece causes the glass or the, the clay to crack and crumble while enduring the heat. The same goes for our spiritual lives. The impurities we allow in our lives are going to determine our strength, our spiritual fire, if you will. If we're stoking that fire with constant study and prayer, then we're going to burn away all the impurities that are within us, that come between us and serving the Lord with all that we have. Now, ultimately, Jeremiah's spiritual fire, his resolve, if you will, was strengthened. He determined that he could trust God to do what was right, even if everyone, even his friends, as we see in verse 10, plotted against him. The Lord would protect him and cause the ruin of his enemies. Can we, see, can we say the same for ourselves? Can we say that we have put our lives in the hands of the Lord and are stoking our spiritual fire in order to burn away all the impurities that this world tries to throw, tries to throw at, it, throw at us while we're being molded, while we're being shaped? 
My dad used to always tell me while I was growing up, he said, son, you're either part of the problem or you're part of the solution. Are you part of the problem of the spiritual fire of this world and how dull it's becoming? Or are you part of the solution of going out and not only building up your spiritual fire, but those around you? Uh, last Sunday we talked about, about not becoming too busy to do the Lord's work. Not becoming too busy to stoke not only our own spiritual fire, but those around us. Whether it be at the office, at school, wherever. We have the opportunity each and every day of our lives to make the fire within us so hot that the devil will flee from it. Put our faith in the Lord and the strength He has to offer us through His Word. Make it so strong that the devil will ultimately give up. Now, while we're on this earth, we're going to endure tests and trials every day. But there will come a time, Judgment Day, whenever Satan has to relent and we part. And when that day comes, your spiritual fire will either have been hot enough on earth to burn away the impurities and God's grace allows us to enter into heaven or maybe on the other hand, your spiritual fire wasn't hot enough here on earth and you will have to endure a heat that will never be quenched. You know, we sang a while ago, I'll, I'll be somewhere listening for my name. In order, to, in order to be listening for your name, you have to be about the Lord's work. You have to be about stoking the fire that you have for the Lord and what he offers through his service, through service to him. If we were on trial for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Think about that. There will come a day whenever we are on trial for being a Christian. And hopefully... The fire that we either helped build here on earth or helped extinguish while here on earth will be a testament to our Christianity.
invitations this past week, and I'm about to offer another one. We spent our week going from door to door, and the numbers were in the bulletin this morning. I suppose some 9,000 houses received one of these little pamphlets, a simple invitation to come out and to visit this local congregation in Fayetteville that people would recognize the building, but perhaps not the doctrine. And those invitations, for the most part, fell on deaf ears. But there were a few that responded. And in every place you go, there's a few that will respond if you can find them. Door knocking is not the most efficient use of people, but it is effective because it finds everybody. And I don't believe there was a door missed in Fayetteville, Georgia. I hold in my other hand here a slip of paper from a Miss Garnetta Nana. I suppose I've knocked a couple thousand doors over the last five years, and I don't know how I found myself at that door without a, a contact card, but I did. And Miss Garnetta was nice to me at the door, and she was interested in what I had to say. Phil was working the other side of the street. It could have been anybody to come to Miss Garnetta Nana's door, and she would have been interested in what we had to say. She took the time to uh, write down her name and her phone number for me and ask me to come back and make further contact. And we tried throughout the week to do that. And I've kept this little slip of paper as, as a sample and a reminder to me of how fragile and accidental our spiritual contacts in this life really are. Very accidental. It was her good fortune to at least once in her life encounter the Lord's Church knocking on her doorstep. I thought a lot about this little note, and I prayed about it. And the answer to that prayer, at least for now, was not yet. See, we weren't able to reach Ms. Garnetta now further. There are people I know at, at uh, Fayetteville that will continue to try to do that, and she'll have more opportunities. 
and therein to be content. All we really have is the present, and it's up to us to make the most of it. Of course, as so often happens, when man thinks he finds something clever and appealing, you can turn to the Bible and you can find it there, waiting for us already. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 2. Behold, now is the accepted time. Today is the day of salvation. If you are here and you, have, you are of an accountable age, but yet you've never been baptized into Christ, then the present is here and now before you. Perhaps this will be the right time and the right place for you. If you choose to come to Jesus, you must come to him with a belief that he is the Son of God and that he did the things that he said that he did. You must come with a determination to repent from your sins and to change those ways as best you can, a little every day, becoming more and more like that Savior that we wish to please. You must come with a willingness to confess his name before men as he has promised to confess our name before his Father. And having done that, you must come with a willingness to submit in obedience to the baptism that's found in the New Testament, where you're immersed into the watery grave of baptism, where we come in contact directly with Jesus' blood and his forgiveness. And those waters keep on washing us as we fall short. These things are possible for you in the here and now, if you will accept the gift of the present. Possibly there are those in the sound of my voice that have problems in their life that are of a public nature and need to be responded to in a public nature. If there are, perhaps this is the right time for you. Perhaps you just need an encouraging word and prayer from your elders and from your brothers and sisters in Christ. Each of us have our faults and our failings and each of us want to do better. In whatever condition you find yourself, the Lord is ready to embrace you. I'm going to let the words from Hebrews chapter 12, the opening verses, conclude this invitation. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us and let us run with patience the race that is before us, looking to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame of it, and he is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction, such hostility at the hands of sinners against him, lest you become wearied and faint in your own hearts, you have not resisted yet under blood, striving against sin. If you're subject to the Lord's invitation this evening, I hope that you'll respond and take advantage of the present as we stand and sing.